the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And whenever we begin to talk about the topic of intimacy, it's usually the men who will shut down on that because it's hard for them to grasp intimacy. Uh, most people, men too, think intimacy is really revolving around sex or way too much personal exposure of who they am, who they are. They often like to see themselves having space and distance, and they feel like it's important for a man that not to reveal too much. That way, he can stay more in charge of the situation. But I'd like to share this with those men that are listening: that there was a man in the Bible who, even as a young boy, was a man's man. He was one who took a bear and slayed him, took a lion, slayed him, found a giant, slayed him. And then this uh, boy grew up and became arguably Israel's greatest political and military leader, and that would be King David. And I don't know that we could ever find a more manly man than David. And yet when you look at David, other than what was written in the historical books of the Old Testament, you have to capture his, his life and his mind and his heart by reading through Psalms mostly, and maybe a few other places where they'll refer to David. And when you do, you will find someone who is vastly different than a rough and tough and hard to diaper guy. You're going to find someone who really was intimate with the Lord. He really saw who he was. He saw who God is. And he saw how God was to him as well. And it was great intimacy. He was one who had a heart and he would write songs and he would sing those songs unto the Lord. And so for you men, what I'd like you to do is kind of lean a little bit more into this message, especially this week and next week, as we talk about intimacy. Because I do want to talk about it and know that you men, we men, can stand up and say, yes, we can be intimate with God. Now, if David is not your cup of tea, I want you to know next week we're going to see it in the life of Moses. And who would also say about Moses? He was a manly man. Think of all the millions of Jews and all their attitudes and actions as he led them from Egypt to the promised land, although himself not being able to go into the promised land. And I would say that Moses was a strong man. So we're going to learn a little bit more about intimacy from another Old Testament man's man who really loved the Lord as well. So with that in mind, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Psalm 27. And we're going to go through much of Psalm 27, verses 1 through 14. So if you have a Bible, I'd like you to get it out. You can follow along. If not, you're welcome to use that uh, little outline I gave you in your worship folder so you can maybe jot some notes down as well. In verses 1 through 12, it's often said that David is describing his intimacy with the Lord. And we will spend more time on verses 1 through 12 than we will on verses 13 and 14. And then in verses 13 and 14, he's going to declare his intimacy. So the first part of it, he's primarily describing it, and then he declares what that is. And so I'd like you to know that when David begins and he starts sharing with us in Psalm 27, which is 
one of my favorite psalms and probably one of the the psalms in the in the old testament that most they most say many songs have been written about the lord is my life whom then shall i fear great psalm but david begins by confirming again who god is really if you're going to worship this lord you need to know who he is and i'm going to comment more on that but i want to start out by saying we really need to know who god is in order for us to worship him and be intimate with him but then we have to know what is god to us because god is relational i believe we're the only global if i could use the term religion belief system that has a relational God who chooses to be with us, who recognizes our fallenness, and He does all the work to remove that so we can be intimate with Him. So maybe it would be good as we begin looking at this passage to think in terms of the word intimacy. The word intimacy, again, is not so much about physical intimacy. So that's why you don't see a lot of trappings here, that we don't walk up to a cross and kneel so we feel closer to God when we have a cross either up on the wall or in our home or around our neck or in some measure. So we don't look at objects necessarily. Now let me not slam those objects. They're good to have around. They're good to kind of remember and capture our thinking, even subconsciously remind us to go back to that. But they're not objects for us that we worship, nor should they be objects that we need in order to have intimacy with the Lord. The other concept about intimacy is this. And it's a very simple definition. It works for me, and I don't know if it'll work for you, and I hope that it would. Intimacy is into me see. Did you catch that? Into me see. It's where you become transparent and you totally open up yourself, recognizing theologically, spiritually, that the Lord can see everything that's inside of you, not your heart and your guts and all that. We get that. He does know that, see that. But it's really your spiritual nature your attitudes towards him, towards life, he can really see the real who you and I are. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just where I'm exposed to the Lord, where he knows everything about me and I recognize that and I, I'm humbled by that, I'm, I'm broken by that, I see my weaknesses, etc. But intimacy works the other way. Intimacy works this way where the Lord says, I, in order for us to be intimate, he says, I want you to know all about me, who I am. And how I am to you, because when he exposes himself, then we get a chance to know who our God really is. And the beauty of it all is that we see it in the person and all the works, including the finished work of Christ on the cross. All right. And so we get a chance to know who he is. So when we talk about intimacy, it's us being exposed to the Lord, but it's also celebrating that he exposes what he wants us to know of him to us through the word. I need to give you this caveat. We will never know all there is to know about God because there are certain secret things that belong to the Lord. I'm okay with that. You know, if I knew everything there was about God, then I probably would be God, if you know what I mean. So I'm, I'm okay if I don't know everything. But what I do need to know, he does reveal that to me. And he wants me to know that. And by knowing that, that gives us the opportunity to become intimate with him. Now, if you think that I can, in two Sundays, give you everything there is to know about how to be intimate with God, it won't work. It's a lifetime experience of discovering and opening it up. It's like, can you ever get to the end of the Internet? Don't try, okay? And I didn't invent it either, all right? So the point of the matter is, is that we have to get into the Lord. So let's look at the first three verses of it. I want to make a couple of comments before we actually get into the passage. So David begins by confirming who God is and who God is to him. And he starts out in verse 1 of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Well, before we go any further, you might enjoy doing this. I want you to see the attitude that David has as he kind of cancels out the world and he now looks at who God is to him. And do that by circling certain pronouns in these three verses. So the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's my light and salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even implying God. When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. That sounds kind of gross, come and, come and eating. That's kind of a poetic way to say they want to destroy me. And so, men, let me speak to you for a moment. What's, what's probably the greatest possession that you have that would hurt you the most if it was destroyed? And your wife is, please say me, please say me. But generally with men, it's your reputation. Because whoever you are is often defined by how you live, your integrity, your reputation. And so he's basically saying they've come against me physically, socially. They're my enemies. They're my foes. But they stumbled and fell. They tried to come at me, but God was my shield. He says, though an army may encamp against me. So it's not just one enemy. It's a whole army. And they don't come once in a while. They are entrenched against who David was. He says, my heart shall not fear. That's huge. I think I would fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident in the fact that the Lord is his light, his salvation, and his life. Okay, we know that. But then the rest of the psalm talks about, again, why he could say, in this will I be confident. So we're answering the question, in what can I be confident? So If you want to be intimate with the Lord and have confidence in that intimacy, we're going to go through and begin to look at this. I love that passage, verse 1, 2, and 3. It might be a good memory verse, memory passage for you to head out into the new year with. It provides me with hope. It means no matter what happens, I have hope. I have hope in God in this life. I have hope in God for the next life. And what do I mean by hope in God for this life and the next life? Well, this life means no matter how bad it gets, it always could be worse. Can I be a little funny with you? Those that are listening on the radio, you may know that I'm in Orlando, Florida doing this message. And Florida is known for beaches and, and surfing and you know shorts and flip-flops and all that kind of stuff. But most everybody that's listening to me now in a heated room already has their coats on because it is really cold here. But it's relative in the sense that we're not up north, are we? So for us, it's pretty warm. I often thought that even when I wear a jacket in April, when I go to the beach, you have these northern people that are down there and they're just flipping in that water like it's nothing. There's no way I'd go into that water in April here even in Florida. That being said, that's how relative it is. No matter how bad it gets, and I'm not trying to ignore or deny your pain. The emotional pain you have, the physical pain through disease if you're suffering with that, I, I won't do that. But I will say, it's still relative compared to how worse it could be. And then we have the hope in the future. The hope is no matter what I go through, He's with me through it all here. The hope is that I will be delivered off of this world, out of this body, and into not just a better place, but a better place in his presence. Did you catch that? And that's the hope. I look at it and I look, that's my salvation. Now, salvation basically means I'm rescued. So he rescues me. I mean, there are times I think you and I have been rescued out of car accidents and other things. But the greatest rescue that I'm going to have is against my greatest enemy, which is death. So what brought on death was Satan and sin. So all of that, I'm rescued out of that. 
and given that home in heaven. And that's a hope. And it's not a hope, hope, hope. It's that anticipation of joy of that. The joy that I have. Well, let's look at number one. He could say all of this about his intimacy. And so I want to describe his intimacy to us. And then I'd like us maybe to follow his model of what he saw Christ or the Lord and what he did to develop his own intimacy. So here's number one, seek God or seeking God. You know, it's a one-time seek. I choose to seek him. I spend the rest of my life moment by moment seeking him. That doesn't mean that I have to keep looking for him because I can't find him. It's the constant I'm seeking him. Let's look at the verse here. What a powerful verse in verse 4 of Psalm 27. He says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. Now just pause for a moment. One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that's what I will seek. I'm going to say a lot of stuff about seeking the Lord today, and I'm going to come back to that subject again next week because I really believe that seeking the Lord is the most important to get us to the objective that we want. It has to begin by seeking Him. Now the verse. One thing I'm desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Let's pause on that concept of dwelling for a moment. I've used this before because it really speaks to me, but um, if you came to my house, I think you'll be you'll wait there and you'll you'll wait for for maybe Carol and me to say, Come on in, glad to have you. Why don't you have a seat over here? All right. Now when I come home and I open the door, um, Carol doesn't say, Oh, Stan's here. Come on, you sit over here. No, I, I sit where pretty much wherever I want. All right. Why? Because it's my house. I dwell there. I feel the most comfortable there. I feel safe there. I feel protected there. I feel that I'm wanted there. So there's a difference between visiting God and dwelling with the Lord. And dwelling with the Lord is that idea of abiding, feeling safe. And I like to say at home with the Lord. So he says here that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You might want to mark that all the days of my life. In other words, there was no day he wanted to be away from God. And yet, if you study your Bible, you're going to find a lot of folks in the Bible wanted to run from Jesus, leave Jesus, run from God. How about a whole book in the Bible about one guy who did that or tried to do that? What was Who was he? Anybody? Jonah, okay. And there was somebody who would want to be where the Lord would want him to be, and yet he couldn't even run from the Lord. Then he says, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Seeking the Lord. I'm going to try to take some of you that are married back to those thrilling days of yesteryear when you uh, were beginning to have those funny little feelings about your mate. All right? You remember those funny little feelings about the one you wanted to get married to and how much you just wanted to always be around them? It was weird in our house. I'm old, you young people, so be prepared for this. I grew up in a home. We had one little dial phone. My dad... Uh, had, had his business out of the home. He was a painting contractor, but that's where he did his business so that when people would call, there'd be someone to answer. He didn't have to hire a secretary, so mom would answer the phone. That meant we kids, when we wanted to call, we could only be on the phone five minutes because there was no uh, messages you could leave. We weren't on a party line, and nobody would know they were calling. My dad could lose business, and I can still hear him, no business, no eat. What do you want? You know. So I would have to stay off the phone. So now I'm at a certain age, and I'm I'm going to court Carol, and courting someone, you uh, make sure you have communication going. So I had to go to the local drugstore. And back then, you could drop a dime in the, in the machine, and you could call that person. And it was funny. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. And by the end of our conversation, it was always that weird. You say goodbye first. No, no, you say goodbye first. No, no, you hang up first. No, 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 you hang up first. 
Am I weird? Or have you gone through some of that same stuff? You always wanted to be around. What I'd like to encourage you to do is to do the same. Don't just seek Him when you come to church. So coming to church is an op- not an obligatory obligation. I do to come in a building because that's what Christians do. When I come, I come to do something I'm already doing, but differently. I'm already privately worshiping the Lord. Now I'm coming, choosing to worship with other believers at a particular set time. That's the first day of the week because that's what the disciples celebrated him as, the resurrection. So we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And so while we're doing it, I want to do it together. But while I'm here, I can expand that. I can hear his word. I can hear words from other people. I can sing a song. I can go to a class. I can eat plenty of donuts. You know, whatever it is, we're doing it together. So we seek the Lord privately, but then we come together still seeking the Lord. Funny story. I was teaching at Florida Bible College a class called Evangelism and Discipleship. The school had 1,500 students. They're all mostly between the ages of 18 and 22-ish, okay? That particular age group. And if you'll notice, with 1,500 students back in the 60s, there were a lot of them that were eventually going to get married. So it was often referred to not Florida Bible College, but Florida Bridal College, all right? And so I'm, I'm not surprised that almost weekly, not every week, but almost weekly, someone would get up in chapel or someone would make the announcement that, uh, you know, Mildred and Clarence, I'm just making up names, are, are getting married, all right? And so I decided <clears throat> I'm going to do something special. So we had our class. And remember, these are poor college kids that we didn't, we didn't have uh, student loans. These, these kids had to work, you know, pay their own tuition from semester to semester. They couldn't stay in school. So they were working, and they would want to put a ring on this gal's finger, and they saved all their money. So now the class is wall-to-wall, a huge class, 350 students, something like that. And so that day I stood up before the students and I said, you know what, one of the, um, one of the girls lost the diamond out of the ring and it was in this room somewhere. Would, would you all mind looking for it? It, it was pandemonium. The men first because they knew that it cost that guy money. And so they're on their hands and knees. The girls are you know, they're wearing dresses and they're down here trying to be as modest as they can. They're looking. Guys are laying flat. You know, they're, they're just trying to see any little thing. And I let it go on for about 10 minutes. And I couldn't find it. And I said, okay, 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 get, get to your seats. Everybody was so excited because they thought someone found it. And I said, you notice how diligently you sought for that lost diamond? That's how we should seek the Lord and seek the lost. But that same kind of thing. Wouldn't you say the Lord, and in a sense, those whom the Lord loves, the lost, are more valuable than that diamond? I think he is. So seeking the Lord is so very, very important. And I'm going to be sharing with you next week some ways that you might begin to foster that seeking of God. Let me go to number two, worshiping God. Seeking the Lord is, is okay because he says, if you seek me, you will find me. So if you're sharing the gospel with someone, it's who's really wanting to know more and has a hundred more questions, it's likely he might come to faith in Christ because he's seeking the Lord. If you are wanting to seek the Lord, you will find him. But when you seek the Lord and you're really wanting him, and now he's becoming everything in your life as a believer in Christ, what should we do with that? That's why I put the word worship in here. So if you'll notice in those verses, he talked about one thing I sought, I sought the Lord. I'm seeking the Lord. Now he's worshiping God. Look at the passage. It says, for in the time of trouble, David is saying this, he, the Lord, 
shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. Kind of neat. You got the tabernacle, and then you got the pavilion, so he's really kind of doing a double hiding place. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and now in bold. Therefore will I offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord, really worshiping the Lord. When I think of worshiping the Lord, that last phrase really got to me about offering sacrifices in the temple. Physically, they would offer sacrifices. You've heard about that, especially when it was all finished, etc. When they did all of that later on, this is after David now, when they did all of that, they brought in this stuff. It was such a wonderful sacrificial experience. But what's really talking about here is not the physical sacrifice from the tabernacle of the Old Testament to the New, and also later on in the temple. What was really happening now was that when they came, they did it not out of duty, although it was that. What was really so special is he said, my greatest sacrifice is one of joy. Think about that for a moment. In living out your walk with the Lord, is it filled with joy? Do you really enjoy the Lord? Do you really enjoy your sacrifice to the Lord. So the sacrifice that you're giving is attached to the joy that you have for Him. Are you okay with me so far? Because now I'm going to step on some toes. When you come to church to worship together, is there joy in your heart when you do? When you serve in a ministry, is there joy in your heart when you do? When you get up to sing, is there joy or is it so flooded with, I don't like this song, I don't like the way it's sung, I don't like this, and your mind just kind of zones out from you? Or is there within you this real sense of at the center of your life, it's not about all the tinsel around the tree, it's about the one who died on the tree. And so you wouldn't want to have that worship. Notice the phrase at the end of that verse. It says, he says, singing praises to the Lord. Let me talk about that for a moment. I don't want to split any hairs here, so don't try to over-exegete this. But I want you to just think with me. We have often what we refer to as hymns, and then we have what we call praise songs. Generally, when the hymns, those old traditional hymns, were being put together, they're often put together during a time that there was a little bit of um, uh, bumping around going with the reality of God, who He is, who He's not taking it from the Reformation, really taking a stand on who God is. So we like to refer to the hymns as songs that were sung about God. That's the key word, about God. They would give you information about God. They would give you information about doctrine. They're great, meaty, theological songs of depth about God. Now, some of them became a little bit light. They were more camp songs as they moved into evangelistic rallies with Moody and thanking all of them. So some of those older, older hymns, those classical hymns, they moved into a little bit lighter as Sankey would try to write songs about God, but also would be in a vernacular where the people would hear them. But more songs about who God, who Christ is, who we are, salvation, and all of that wrapped up. Those are healthy, wonderful songs. This says praises to God. Now, we're not leaving that. We're building on that. The praises to God is more about who God is 
But now we're taking all that truth, instead of singing it to others as a testimony about our God, we are now taking all those truths in our love for Him, and we're singing them to the Lord. What I'd like to encourage you to do as you go through Psalms, that you will see how many times when there's a reference to singing, it is not singing to an audience. It is singing to God. Now, it doesn't say, don't sing so others can hear you. It's saying, singing your praises to the Lord. So whether you sing hymns about God to others, watch this now, in your heart you're still saying, Lord, this is all for you. I sing this song of a testimony to other people about you because I love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. So it is my song to you. So when we sing praise songs, that really kind of lays that aside for a moment, and now we're taking that, and now we're taking our words and we're putting them into words that we really love the Lord. That's very healthy. As long as those songs that we're singing to Him are expression of biblical truth. And so we keep all of that together, but when you sing next week, I pray that you will sing and that you will sing your praises to the Lord and allow our worship team to perhaps through their prayers and the insight guide us in the songs at least for that week to know how and what we should sing for that week. Now let me just spin a little bit more. This is so important as he's writing this. You've got to go back in time. David wrote a lot of stuff, I believe. I believe he wrote a lot of songs. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.